0: this is The Good List. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And in this episode, I'm joined by my friend and fellow writer, Seth Haynes, as we continue our multi-episode conversation about sacramental living. So Seth, before we dive into this episode topic, the specific one, can you remind us what we mean when we say sacramental living? How would you define that in like one to two sentences?
1: Yeah. So to me, Sacramental living means seeing all created things as a sort of doorway to experience the goodness of God in life. To live sacramentally to me is to see food, drink, relationships, um, and even time, which is kind of today's episode, uh, as a sort of avenue for experiencing God's grace.
0: Perfect. And... Mostly for fun, but also because this idea actually embodies the idea of sacramentality. You mentioned food and drink. We're also calling this conversation series, A Drink with a Friend. So Seth, what are you drinking for our particular episode?
1: So today I'm drinking tea. Uh, your mm-hmm. listeners can't hear this, but it is in a white mug, which is very Spartan and simple and kind of boring. But the tea in it is anything but. It's an oolong tea, um, and it's an mm-hmm. organic oolong tea that I really love.
0: Cool. I like it. What are you
1: drinking?
0: Um, my answer might be one step more basic than yours, and that is black coffee. <laughs> it is black coffee because it's been a doozy of a week, because it's not yet noon as we record this, and because, just because, I need it. The mug I'm drinking out of, though, is the Black Dog Cafe. I don't know if you've ever been to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. No. Um, yeah, but Kyle and I went there on our anniversary, and then we went there on our 10-year No, we went there on our honeymoon, I should say. So to me, it's very fallish because our anniversary is in the fall. And we went there as, you know, kids basically, because that's how it felt like when we got married and we were wowed by New England in the fall. And so I like it. Is there
1: When you're drinking black coffee, is there like a certain default coffee for you, like a brand?
0: So the brand is local and that's the one that's 200 steps from our house. Literally, Uh, we have a coffee shop that's behind our house. It's three we We're kind of spoiled in our neighborhood because we live in a super walkable historic neighborhood, you know, and they turned a house into a coffee shop and it's oh, wow. basically our backyard. And so they roast coffee there. And so it's, but it is the, um, we have talked about this, the Ethiopian, is it your chef? That kind of tastes like blueberries. Yes. Is that it? Yes. That is my favorite. And that's what I like to drink when I drink it black, which is most of the time. So, yep. Yeah. That's probably what's in here. Actually.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I love being spoiled by good coffee and good location. Yeah. We have um, Onyx uh, coffee here. They're a local roaster. They show yeah. everywhere.
0: What's his name? Prop. Yeah. Propaganda. Yeah, propaganda. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They've got a new line mm-hmm. together. And, um, and mm-hmm. in fact, Propaganda was, was over uh, not too long <clears throat> ago in our neck of the woods. We spent a little time with him. It was a lot of fun, but, but really know. like he, mm-hmm. he, um has his teamed up with some really good people because man that onyx coffee i could I yeah. drink it all day long
0: i saw that instagram of your wife's amber uh him like in a granny rocking chair and quilt or something like that in the <laughs> <same> living room. <laughs> it's funny
1: yeah he said and i quote i'm from la i'm very cold and it was like 70 <laughs> degrees or something so we gave him a quilt <laughs> and he liked it. i love
0: it perfect that's great Okay, well, uh, to move on to the main topic here, you already hinted at it, we're going to be talking about time, sacramental time, and more specifically, the liturgical calendar, which is sort of the scaffolding for that time. And this is a term that probably a lot of people may have heard of, but have no idea what the heck we're talking about. And maybe even specifically the season of Advent, which is the first part of that liturgical calendar, people probably associate it with the countdown to Christmas, maybe with some grocery store calendar where it's got mediocre chocolate you eat once a day, and that's about all they know of. (laughs) Um, And that's understandable because our culture really doesn't do the liturgical calendar. So we're going to talk about that, what that looks like for us, what we do, what we don't do, what we're still learning, and how to make it work for us and our families, because we both have kids and jobs and all the things. Um, So Seth, start us off. Tell me a little bit about your backstory with what you know of the liturgical calendar.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a really weird sort of world. You know this. Um, I was in fourth grade when my parents moved, uh, my sister and me out of uh, public school and into Catholic school. They were not Catholic, so I was raised Baptist, Um, and we moved into Catholic school. So from fourth to ninth grade, I was in Catholic school. My dad actually became Catholic maybe when I was in fifth grade. So I had this really weird dual experience, right? Where um, every year while I was in school, we would experience things like Advent and like Lent. And so I would go through all the Advent sort of rituals um, of the liturgical year with my classmates. And then I would go home and there was no Advent calendar or anything. Um, And then same for Lent, right? It was like, oh, there's this thing called Lent, I kind of understand it, but I don't really practice it. About the only thing that we had that came close to that was that um, month of July uh, in the Baptist church where we celebrated God and country month and had the <laughs> flags everywhere. And, you know, uh, oh, no. Marines walked down the aisle, you know, on the Sunday before or after the fourth, it was this, this sort of oh, man. nationalistic experience. That was about Now The only thing that we had that was kind of a liturgical calendar was July the 4th, but uh, a few years ago, I I ran across this little book um, by Joan Chittister called The Liturgical Year. And for me, um, it really did kind of sort of recast and reframe and help me understand the importance of the liturgical year. Um, and that's like something that I'm still growing in that I'm still trying to understand more and more of.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I have to ask, so fourth through ninth grade is a pretty formative year in a kid's life. So was it confusing to you to have it be, you know, one way at school and one way at home, knowing you were both, you know, this was a Christian environment and then you go home, you know, your family is a Christian family and yet some do things and others don't?
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, so I was really um, a Christian mutt, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I was raised Baptist. Uh, my mother became a Christian in the charismatic renewal of the Episcopalian church. So my grandparents were Episcopalian um, and people on my mom's side were Episcopalian. My dad's side was Church of Christ. And then I was in this Catholic school. So to me, you know, the sort of faith became this, this massive melting pot. Uh, um, and so there was just so much, um, I guess, difference in the practices of all the people in my life that I, I don't really know that I thought about it one way or another. I, it wasn't confusing because kind of everything was confusing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I totally get it. I just remember even as a kid, not even understanding what denominations were. It almost felt like teams or something. And I couldn't figure out why we kind of divided like that, which is a whole other thing. Um, but at the time, I was just like, well, okay, I guess we're just going to go over here and, you know, take our ball over here and play. And I didn't think much of it until I was probably in high school. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So t- w- did you grow up with people on both sides of your family in different kinds of denominations? Or were you pretty much straight down the middle. It's the same. Everyone was the same. Yeah.
0: Well, I was definitely Protestant and definitely low church Protestant, not in that's not a disparaging term. It's a, you know, just meant that we didn't really subscribe to anything liturgical or um, anything that would be conceived as sort of high art church. Mm. Um, My mom grew up assemblies of God a lot of my family on that side is still Assemblies of God in your neck of the woods, actually, mm. in the Ozarks. Um, yeah. And then my dad grew up, I guess you could say Assemblies of God as well, but they weren't quite as Pentecostal maybe. But then by the time I was a kid, we had we were mostly non-denominational. Okay. And so I kind of joke that by the time I was in sixth grade, we started going to a big Texas church. So oh. that is, if, and you know, Texas is not in want of many churches on every corner. And this is just your classic, large. um, I don't know if we were using the term seeker sensitive yet in this era of the late eighties, but it was definitely of that flavor. Um, And yet it was very, um, you know, I mean, it was in all things, but name Baptist. So it was very much Bible focused. It was very Sola Scriptura. And so, I, the the good thing about that is that I learned a heck of a lot of the Bible growing up. And to this day, I'm grateful for that. I learned a lot of the Bible. Um, and yet, kind of the other side of that coin is, if it didn't show up explicitly in scripture, we kind of didn't do it. And that's a liturgical calendar, right? So I just didn't know anything about it. To me, it just kind of came across as like the extra fluffy things that those other denominations that I know nothing about did. So I didn't know anything about it till... I don't know. I was an adult well into my adulthood, I think.
1: Yeah. When you say, when you say, sola scripture, you mean the Bible alone. So because it wasn't lined out in the Bible, like, Hey, from the day after Thanksgiving until Christmas, we do this. And then the next date, 12, whatever days we do this, like, because that wasn't a, mm-hmm. a thing that wasn't practiced.
0: Yeah. I mean, which of course, you know, that didn't mean we didn't do other things that weren't in the Bible, but Yes. If if it was associated with, with anything related to a high church experience, we didn't do it. So to me, Advent, you know, I had heard of it. I knew that there was candles associated with it, that people sometimes lit them and then maybe read a Bible verse. But that's all I knew. To me, it was just the countdown to Christmas. And that's that's the gist of what I knew. I knew nothing else about the rest of the calendar, like even Lent. To me, that. I mean, we did not remotely do Lent. And all the holidays, you know, Easter and Christmas, those were definitely one day long. And that was it. So that was my experience. And I'll bet you it's the experience of a lot of people, at least here in the U.S. Yeah. If you did not, I say a lot of people, a lot of Protestants or a lot of um, people in our sphere. So that's my backstory. And of course, now here I am (laughs) several decades later, and I wrote a book about Advent. So it has definitely come to mean a lot to me now as an adult. But um, I'm curious, Seth, you know, you and your wife have four kids. Have y'all ever intentionally done anything for Advent in your home?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do every year and we have for years.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, um, We do that. What did you call it? The mediocre chocolate? The, yeah. <laughs> the calendar with the mediocre chocolate. Oh man, that stuff's the worst. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, last year or two years ago, we had one of those and the kids like very graciously offered me the mediocre chocolate. And I said, <laughs> it, with the graciousness of my heart said, no, 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 you can go ahead and have that Ming uh, right. Um, But really, I just hate that stuff. Um, last year, maybe, maybe that was three years ago because last year, um, Amber had a different system where she like actually bought chocolate to put in the advent calendar and you would open the door on the first day of advent and here's a scripture and here's a chocolate and we read it together and eat the chocolate or whatever. Um, and, and we also have these little ornaments, uh, that correspond with a different day, um, and a different symbol. Um, throughout Advent, and so we'll put those in the drawer too. So you pull it out, you pull out the little um, symbol, which is typically a symbol from the scriptures, um, and then you sort of read the scriptures about it, and and then hang that on the tree as an as an ornament. But I think one of the things that's always been really hard for me about both Advent and Lent, but particularly um, particularly Lent, but um, is that. But like, I forget that we're in that time. Like I can't quite get into the groove of it. Um, and then mm-hmm. it'll be like 15 days in when I finally get into the groove of it. And then all of a sudden it's Christmas or it's Easter. Um, yeah. and so I've had a really hard time, if I'm being honest, like really submitting yeah. uh, to the current, to that that sort of current of, of a change, that rhythm of change that leads us into those, uh, holidays. And I wonder if, if you have experienced that or if you're somehow transcending it. And if so, how?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of with you there though. I will say the past few years I've gotten much better at that, but it's only, it's not because I'm, I've like unlocked the key to being super spiritual at Advent. It to me is all about, honestly, a lot of the sacramentality, it's a lot of outward stuff. It's a lot of tactile sensory, um, forced rhythms around me so that I don't forget kind of stuff, which is right in line with this conversation. So to kind of give a little, I guess, backstory for that, I had wanted to do Advent for quite a while since my oldest was, I remember really trying to spearhead this Advent tradition in our family when my oldest was in first grade, and she's now a sophomore in high school. So we um, started off doing like a little calendar, you know, of course, thinking at the time that Advent started December 1st, like every year, you know, not realizing, <laughs> oh, it's the four Sundays before Christmas. Right. So there are times, like in 2020, it starts November 29th. But at the time, I didn't know that. So December 1st, where we had flip over the calendar and then there was like a little activity to do um, cut out paper snowflakes, make this craft, watch this movie, bake cookies. This is when we lived in Oregon. So, you know, snowball fight, make a snowman, make hot chocolate. And I was doing this in the name of being a good mom, because at the time, I felt like that's what good moms do. And of course, I had a one year old, and I have no idea how old Reed was at the time, but I had three little kids. But the reason I did it was because it's not because I felt like this is what my kids wanted. It was because I felt like this is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later, I realized, Oh, I don't actually want that. But At the time, this is what I thought. And it's totally great if people want to do these things. I just thought that that's what I wanted. Um, But it was honestly like by day 10, I was burned out. I was like, I can't wait for the holidays to be over. Uh, And that's not good because we're not done yet. Um, And so fast forward several years to where we were going to go backpacking around the world for a year And I told Kyle the Christmas before, the holiday season before, oh my gosh, I can't wait till next year when nothing will be expected of us. Like we do not have to go to holiday things. We don't even have to get a tree. The kids will barely assume we're getting gifts because we're living out of backpacks. I just can't wait for that holiday season. And so the following year when we did that and we had a really simple, you know, we made homemade Paper stockings and hardly did anything. It was delightful and it kind of felt like a reset button. Mm. So that when we returned and kind of started living like normal people again, I realized okay, I want to do this, but I want to do it the way that works best for us. And I admitted to myself at that moment that I was, well, not at that moment, but I, I owned the fact that I'm not a crafty mom. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I am all for providing the pieces of cardboard and hot glue guns and cotton balls for whoever (laughs) wants to do anything, (laughs) but I'm not going to sit there and do that with them. And that's okay because I am a good mom in other ways. I'm the story time mom. I'm the reading out loud mom. Um, and I also cook and bake and all these other things, and this is okay. Anyway, I'm I'm kind of rabbit trailing now. But my point is we wrap up a lot of our identity and a lot of our ideas of what the holidays should be based on what we think we want for the kids. But then it turns out our kids don't really want that as much as they yeah. want a sense of rhythm, yeah, of the, the time mattering. And almost a sense, kind of the sensory input that um, this is a place where I belong.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And so, but I had forgotten that. Yeah. And to me, ultimately, that's what the liturgical calendar gives us, is this permission to make our time mean something. Yeah. And I lost that. So that's where I'm at now, where I realize, oh, it's about making this matter, So much more than like checking the boxes.
1: Yeah, it's the idea of incorporating your kids into uh, the time, into the formative time. Is that is that right?
0: Mm hmm, mm hmm. And you know, the the kind of to back up about what the liturgical calendar does is, you know, it starts off at Advent. Advent is the first day of Advent is kind of like its little New Year, you know, which doesn't line up with our calendar year at all because it's like late November, early December. But then it walks us through. The life of Christ in one calendar year, more or less, you know, where we start off with the birth of Christ, which is obviously Christmas, and then, you know, all the way to Easter with some other moments in between with Jesus's resurrection and then leading into ordinary time, well, Pentecost and ordinary time. I say all this to say, you know, this is where we recognize time and that it moves but that it's also circular mm-hmm. you know because here we are celebrating advent again like we did last year and like we've done for decades and centuries and all the way to the first you know incarnation um and so we recognize that we're part of time when we when we celebrate advent at, you know we recognize that we're part of this whole thing god is doing here and it's easy to forget that in the midst of carpool lines and work deadlines and getting dinner on the table and working out and, you know, all the things of life. Um, It just, I don't know, gives us permission to make this time mean something.
1: Yeah, I think it's easy to I think it's easy to uh, forget that, particularly as time seems to progress forward, as society changes, as business changes, as families change, as your kids get older, um, as you get older. Um, it's easy to forget that we're actually inside of a bigger story that actually has a beginning and a culmination and that that culmination, um, at least for the the person who believes uh, in the Christian faith, that that culmination happened um, at the resurrection. And it happens every Sunday after that. Right. Like every Sunday we're incorporated back into that bigger story of the life of Christ. and And for me, I think that's where I keep getting uh, reminded, um, you know, that, that these, these seasons are, are important, right? Because every year I get Advent, every year I get Lent and some years, um, I don't do Advent and Christmas well, I don't do Lent and Easter well, and I don't do, uh, you know, Pentecost well or whatever. But the idea is that, um, because the cycle continues because I'm constantly incorporated into the the life of christ into the time of christ that i can do you know incrementally better every year i can grow a little bit better at doing advent every year as i grow in the formation of this larger christian story um so for me it's just that kind of reminder that like hey there is a bigger story uh time is wrapped up in that bigger story and as a participant in time i get to participate in that bigger story
0: break to tell you about one of our sponsors for this episode, Rothy's. Rothy's is the maker of stylish and sustainable shoes and bags from fabric that is soft, amazingly durable, and machine washable. If you've listened to me for any bit of time, you know how much I love my Rothy's. Their shoes are just amazingly comfortable and the super soft fabric is knitted in for a zero break-in period. And yet they still maintain a high level of durability for out-of-the-box daily shoes. And get this, they are made from recycled plastic water bottles. So this means Rothy's has kept over 60 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills. And when your shoes are ready for a refresh... No more soaking and scrubbing by hand or trying to get out stains with a toothbrush. You just toss them in with the laundry. My current favorite Rothy shoes for the fall are the Chelsea boots. They look great when I'm out walking the dog or teaching my high school English classes. I'm literally wearing them right now with a dress. But I'm keeping my eye on some of their new lace-up shoes as well. And I just saw that they brought back their best-selling merino wool shoes. So that might go on my Christmas wish list this year. So check out all of their styles of flats, sneakers, sandals, boots, and even bags, totes, and organizers in all their ever-changing colors and patterns by going to rothys.com slash goodlist. That's rothy dot slash goodlist. Rothy's is all about comfort, style, and sustainability. That means these are the shoes and bags you've been looking for. So one more time, that's rothys.com slash goodlist. And StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you create memorable, customized books full of your loved one's stories you want to make sure are written down and kept as a memory. It's a great holiday gift, especially for that person who you know has lived a full life and has all sorts of stories waiting to be told. So here's how it works. Once a week, Storyworth provides your loved ones a thought provoking question, and it's meant to help draw out their memories and personal thoughts that they then write down. And at the end of the year, Storyworth collects them as well as any submitted photos, and they publish them into a beautifully bound book that they then send you for free. And y'all, This is an especially great gift idea during this time when we can't be with our loved ones in person. You can connect with your family through these stories, and you'll be so glad they took the time to write them down. It's always fun to hear stories from my parents, grandparents, and in-laws that reveal little experiences that help shape their lives and to see how they've made an impact on the next generation. Some of my favorite questions they have answered have been, what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? And what have been some of the little lessons you've learned from life?" My dad has told me about this time as a little league baseball coach and how he would pick up kids for practice with his truck and how they'd jump in the back with their cleats leaving scratches. And because of this, he says he's always suspicious of trucks with pristine beds. So, you know, it's lighthearted stories like this, as well as the more serious ones or even ridiculous ones that you can capture through StoryWorth. You'll read the stories you've heard a thousand times, plus probably a story or three for the very first time. So to get or give StoryWorth this year, go to StoryWorth.com Tish, and you'll save $10 off your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com TSH to receive $10 off. It's really the perfect gift to connect with your loved ones this holiday season, no matter where you are. So one more time, that's StoryWorth.com Tish. I really like that you use the vocabulary bigger story because I've written about this before. We, especially I would say our generation, we've been told most of our lives, at least American culture, um, to live a big story. That that message of make our lives matter and make them count, that involves doing big and great things, you know, the live a great story line and what something like. Mm -hmm the liturgical calendar reminds us of is that it's actually not our one individual story that needs to count. It's being part of the bigger universal story of what God is doing. And it's actually really okay. Not only that my life is ordinary and not that big, but perhaps it's even better that way. And yeah, um, I don't want to say it's like I'm finding my place as though like, you know, no, 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 be quiet. Don't don't make a big scene of yourself. It's more this idea of recognizing life is not about me. And I think that's what this calendar does really well. You I mean, from the beginning of Advent all the way through, it's a reminder that I am part of a collective body and that we're all pointed in the same direction, which is God's story. And and thankfully, it's not about me because that's a lot of pressure to make my life about me.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I think that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the problems with having this sort of one and done idea of the holidays that, you know, you have this one big event that is Christmas or this one big event that is Easter, or this one big event that's Thanksgiving Um, is that you do tend to kind of make it a little bit more about you, you know. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah. I remember thinking you know if you don't get the exact you know meal that you want at Christmas or the exact present that you want at Christmas that somehow it was kind of a fail because so much is riding on that one day you know um, but there's something about living into the rhythm of the bigger story that takes the pressure off that one day um, and mm-hmm. allows it to be a celebration of of kind of what it what it really is.
0: Mm-hmm. And I actually feel like that's one of my favorite things about Advent. Ultimately, is that it forces us to slow down because it's not just one day. You know, the entire calendar wraps up our all of our time. You know, we're not not part of the liturgical tradition at any or the calendar at any one moment. Um, but Advent, in particular, the whole point is to anticipate and to wait. You know, the word itself means wait, and so it's so antithetical to our normal pace of life. You know, when we are uh, subconsciously thinking that the day is about checking off a to-do list Mm -hmm. or, or that we matter when we get a lot done. Instead, Advent is an invitation. You know, it's a gift. It's not a burden. It's an invitation to slow down. Remember life is not about me and to actually enjoy the buildup to the full the fullness of the christmas season and i i describe it a lot like you know the feeling and you have a younger one as well so you might still have this the um you know the way kids get at christmas when they just like can't wait and ultimately the waiting yeah. for christmas is almost more yes. fun than christmas itself yeah, right. And how I don't know if you've ever had this, but like one of your kids will say only eight more days till Christmas. And they're saying that like a good thing. And you're as an adult, like panicking when they say that, like, oh crap, (laughs) you know,
1: have I gotten all the right things?
0: Yeah. Like that's not good. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) what Advent does is it a lot, it gives us that grace to be like, okay, it's not here yet. And even with the kids, you know, it, it, it gives them the grace to slow down, to enjoy the anticipation, like to recognize that that's part of the gig, that it's not all about December 25th. Yeah. And especially because within the calendar, Christmas tied is 12 full days long. And that's a whole other thing. But Advent is, is intentionally slow on purpose. It's intentionally not terribly prescriptive. Like there's not a lot of thou shalt do this and this and this on purpose, I think, because it's so much more about inward posture than it is about, you know, outward stuff.
1: Yeah. Have you just out of curiosity, have you attended or been to a midnight mass yet?
0: No, I haven't. Oh, you got to do that this year. Oh, uh, we are, we are, we are, we are. Oh, yeah, so
1: perfect. Like for me, that is the ultimate culmination of Advent. And I get to, that, that experience to me, and I've been doing it for years, really since probably high school. Um, mm-hmm. Even, you know, when Amber and I were, you know, first married, I would sneak off and go to, find you know, find some midnight service and go to a midnight mass. Um, but to me, it's that's just, cool. it, it really does um, sort of put a, a, a nice, uh, bookend on Advent, um, and just say, okay, now we're transitioning to the, to the stable, we're transitioning to Christmas tide and, uh, to Christmas day. And it is my favorite by far, my favorite That's service cool. of the year by far.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, it'll be a new thing for me to look forward to because, um, every year, you know, since I wrote a dang book on Advent, I feel like, gosh, the, it's surprising to me how much more there is for me to unpack and learn about and grow every um, every season. And that's even true this year when I've got this book out, that there are new things to experience like this. So I'm really excited about that. And um, kind of along that, I feel like this is a good, I don't know, not, this isn't a blatant plug for the book. But one of the things I wrote the book for was so that all sorts of people, those who grew up going to midnight mass for years, all the way to, they are just now learning what this word means in our conversation right here could um, get something out of it. And the reason is because um, I think once we get into the idea of Advent and we say like, okay, I'm on board. This sounds good to me. um, We suddenly get overwhelmed with all these either ideas or things to do or ways we want to incorporate it into our home life. And then we get overwhelmed either because there's too many things we want to try to do or because we freeze because we don't know what to do. Um, And so the book is intentionally open and go, meaning if you have to skip three or four days of reading a book, you're not behind. You know, I don't know if you've ever had some of these uh, Advent things where you have to, like, follow a story. I didn't I didn't want that. (laughs) Yeah, because. You
1: miss one or two of those and you feel like you've let everybody down.
0: Yeah. It's like, sorry, kids, we're going to have an hour and a half of reading tonight so that we can catch up. And that's just not reality. Um, And then, but I also wanted to use the Psalms as our walkthrough for Advent because first of all, it's poetry and it's, you know, the mass reading of, of the church and of the old Testament and um, of the tradition of Christ. But um I also, I feel like, you know, you and I've talked about before that poetry slows us down and forces us to um, think because it's not so literal. It's not so, I mean, it's a lot of metaphor. It's a lot of language play. And so to me, the holidays are a great time to, you know, to stop, light a candle, kind of get cozy and actually read some poetry. And the Bible actually has a lot of poetry. Um, And so that's what the book is instead of necessarily you know, a beginning and end story. It's a walk through this inward kind of stuff that we want to yeah. wrestle with, but kind of don't feel like we have permission to because we yeah. have so many holiday things to do.
1: Tell me about the title, Shadow and Light. What, Why, why the title? Why that title?
0: Why the title? Well, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the idea of Advent being darkness to light, or, you know, we're walking... In a direction, but that's the visual I've always had about Advent ever since I kind of knew what it was. We light candles at Advent, but um, the candles are somewhat symbolic of um, the anticipation of the birth of Christ because you light one at a time. So, week one, you light one candle, week two, you light that first week's candle and the second candle and so on and so forth, to where by Christmas, you're lighting five candles, you've got the four weeks and then the Christmas candle. Um, but besides that, to me, there's this already not yetness with Advent, because we're recognizing a historic event that already happened, right? Jesus was born, I don't know, like t- 2000 plus years ago. And so we're remembering that. But there's also this not yet season where we're living in this in between time, where for those of us who are Christians, we we recognize that the world has not yet been redeemed fully or yeah. made new yeah. and rights have not been fully wronged. I mean, wrongs have not been fully right. righted <laughs> yet strike that reversion. Um, and so we're still living a little bit in the shadows. Yeah. And so Advent is also a reminder of what we're still waiting for, that we're still in the not yet season. So that's what the title's about.
1: That's good. And as we're recording this, we're recording it a little bit early, but as we're recording this, we just cut off the second presidential debate. And I know that politics (laughs) don't want to talk about that, but it is a stark reminder that we are living in the, um, you know, not yet. You know, it's, we, Mm -hmm. we look for a bigger kingdom. We look for justice. We look for peace. We look for mercy. Um, And it's just a reminder uh, as we go through this political season that like, man, we've got a long way to go.
0: Yeah. And I mean, heck, politics aside, just 2020. I mean, 2020 is a hot dumpster fire of a mess for everybody around the world. And if we need a more stark reminder of things not being as they should be, all we have to do is like, you know, look around, gestures broadly at the entire world. You know, (laughs) This is... We're all living in the not yet. Yeah, or go and, try to have
1: a cup of coffee with a friend at a restaurant, at a coffee shop or restaurant. You can't do it. I mean, it's it is can't the not do yet. it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, and so Advent. I mean, I couldn't have planned this, but to have a book about Advent come out in a year like this, um, a lot of us are going to be at home. A lot of the for a lot of the holidays, and so we want that. Um, Coffee with a friend, remembering that everything will be made new at some point, all the things that we know are um, supposed to be but aren't, we can give ourselves little reminders of that at home, you know, through daily reading of poetry like the Psalms, through lighting of candles, through listening to good music and art, because that's part of this book as well. Um, And through just talking about it as a family, you know, without all the right answers, but at least making this a regular. Um, thing you do together um, even if it's like five minutes long because you're remembering that one day things will be okay even if they're not okay right now
1: well we're going to use your book at the Haynes family we've already talked about it we're excited about it I'm excited about it and I'm going to learn from you I'm going to keep learning from you
0: very cool all right well um, Seth let's each share what one thing habit idea or work of art is currently making our life a little bit better Um, And we've paired what we're drinking in this episode with us, at least sort of, (laughs) kind of. Mine's a bit of a stretch, but um, I still want to hear what yours is. So start us off by telling us what's on your good list right now and how it pairs with your oolong tea.
1: Yeah, so on my good list right now, I was really torn between a couple of different things. Um, And this is kind of an old thing, oldish thing. Um, But it's uh, Typhoon's album offerings, which I don't know if you... Listen to that.
0: We've talked about Typhoon before. Oh, I don't man. know. You, you, they're like a, you and I had this whole conversation about how they're like arcade fire, but with hope. Yes. You right. Yeah. There,
1: and it's, there's a little bit of sentimentality there, but it's, I mean, the artistry, yeah. the poetry, the thematic writing is so beautiful. Um, I like their album white lighter a lot. I actually love their album white lighter. I wrote most of my last book to Typhoon and the Oh hellos, but that's a sort of totally different band. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. their, their album offerings is about a journey of, uh, a man, um, actually from he's, it's about a it's a relational album. It's about his marriage and his journey from dementia to death. And then ultimately to the afterlife. If you can listen to the last song without bursting into tears, um, you are not human. You're an Android. Um, So it's just an amazing album and it's an album that really does like look back at time and chronologize time and show the eternality of time. Um, And so that uh, album pairs really well with the idea of the liturgical year and the, and the consummation of all time and living in time and what that means. It also pairs well with Oolong, not because there are any references to oolong tea in said album, but because as I was listening to that album and ingesting it, when it came out, I was sitting at a coffee shop, local coffee shop called Puritan. And for the most part, I was drinking oolong tea. So it just kind of all fits together. What are you doing? Uh, what's, like what's, what's what's so, yeah. So what's your, what's your art? <laughs> what's your
0: yeah, this is kind of, this is kind of funny. So, um, you know, I'm drinking black coffee which is kind of stark it's kind of um yeah it's dark so my um my thing is uh, inferno by dante alighieri oh, wow. uh, i don't oh, i know wow. i don't know if you i don't know if you've ever read the divine comedy but i am just now reading it for the first time oh man and and so i like that you talked about typhoons uh being a journey that album because this is the journey to hell purgatory and heaven that most art post 1302 has has used as its foundation for describing what it's like to walk through the journey of hell and out, you know, via redemption. It's it, I was reading this past week how, um, my just foundational Dante's work is the Divine Comedy, and and so to me. I'm, I'm, it's so funny, because this is the holidays, and I'm reading Inferno. um, And I'm actually reading it with my high school students. So that is the official excuse. You know, I I often joke with them, I'm assigning you books that I want to read, or I have already read and I want you to read because um, it's good for you. But this is the book that has been on my bucket list forever. And so we're reading Inferno. So what better way to say um, the holidays are coming than a book about hell?
1: (laughs) I think that's, Um, that's hilarious. I will say too, and you, we didn't plan this, this was not planned. um, But the album offering has Dante references in it, as you said, because a lot of journey type of art um, has those sort of uh, divine, yeah, divine comedy references, Dante references in them. So that's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a whole class um, coming soon just about the art of, Divine Comedy and where we see it in art, ancient, I mean, you know, medieval to now. And um, then I'm going to have all the kids draw their circles of hell. <laughs> you, should <laughs> sure totally, in, so.
1: you should totally make them listen to offerings while you do it.
0: Okay, I'm going to do that then. I'm adding <laughs> it to the list. So there you go. Nothing says um, it's Advent like a book about hell. But um, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm reading. What are you going to do? Anyway. Hi, my name is Kelsey, and I'm calling from Lake Forest, Illinois. And the thing that's on my good list this week is receiving your new book in the mail, Shadow and Light. I'm so glad I chose to give myself this gift this year, as you encouraged me to do on your last podcast episode. It's such a beautiful book, and it's making me so look forward to the Advent season this year. Thank you for making it. Bye. (sighs) Thank you to Kelsey for sharing with us what's on your good list. And I would love to hear from you as well. So call and leave a short voicemail at 401 684 good and tell us a habit, idea, thing, or work of art that is making your life better these days. You can find my work at tishoxenwriter.com, where you'll find links to my books, my audio series about creating a rule of life, and my weekly newsletter called Five Quick Things. And as we talked about in this episode, Advent 2020 begins Sunday, November 29th. So head to shadowandlightadvent.com to get your copy of the book, to join the free community and to find accompanying resources like music and art to make it all kind of just a season you want to enjoy this year. So Seth, where can we find you and your work?
1: You can find me at SethHaynes.com or SethHaynes.substack.com for my newsletter. And then like anywhere where you use the little ampersand symbol at It's at Seth Haynes. Very
0: cool. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. And thanks as always to Caroline Tissell and Kyle Oxenreiter for their help, as well as my furry intern, Jenny. I'm Tish Oxenreiter, and Seth and I will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening to The Good List. And Seth, thanks again for joining me.
1: Thanks. It was fun. As always.
0: As always.